The following message is entitled, Our Glass Mercy Power Unleashed, Part 3. This message was given during the morning service on September 11, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, as we return to the series that is entitled, The Kind of Church That God Wants. A verse-by-verse study of 1 Timothy, and we're still in verse 2, finishing up the second of three qualities that are necessary to live the Christian life, grace, mercy, and peace. This is the introductory two verses that Paul shares in his first major priority for a local church. The first priority encompasses the entire first chapter of 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 to 20. As your note sheet shows you, priority number one is God wants true teachers and pure doctrine in our churches. And he starts off in verses 1 and 2 showing the foundation of leadership in verse, verses 1 and 2, Christ, Paul, and Timothy, and then the foundations of power for any church, grace, mercy, and peace. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In your note sheet, what we've already seen is the church was founded by Christ and the apostles. In these two verses, we did a study extensively of the Apostle Paul's life, God's true servant and apostle, and then we looked at the troubled life of Timothy as a pastor, and we studied the nine major sins that he was battling with, and uh, were able to relate probably more to the struggles that Timothy had than the powerhouse of Paul's life. And then we've been extensively, letter C under Roman numeral 1, been looking at the great trilogy empowering God's servants. We finished God's grace. To live by grace is to live by faith, just as faith was necessary to trigger grace for salvation. It's the same as a Christian to grow in grace is to grow in faith. If I'm trusting God's grace less, then I have less faith If I have less faith, then I am trusting his grace less. And so the power of grace, unmerited favor towards us to sanctify us, comes through grace. And then we've been studying, as your introduction says, next to the hourglass picture, lessons from the hourglass of God's mercy. And this continues. Mercy has unconditional aspects to it, but it also has conditional aspects to it. And there's a time deadline on mercy, both for the believer and for the unbeliever in different ways, but still there is a time limit. Thus the hourglass that we do not have unlimited mercy as believers and nor do the lost. There's ten lessons that I'm teaching you on the second virtue, the virtue of mercy that is necessary to be triggered for God's power to cause us to grow. Just as we need to trigger grace through faith, we will learn eventually three lessons that teaches us how to trigger mercy's power. I would probably say If I asked most believers, how practically do you trigger the power of mercy in order to grow as a Christian? Most Christians would probably just say, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know how to trigger mercy. I didn't know I had to trigger mercy. I didn't even know mercy was a power that would help me to become Christ-like. Well, that's what I'm teaching you. There's a reason why the Spirit of God through Paul to Timothy in verse 2 is giving us these powerhouse these triune power virtues here because obviously no local church and no believer can grow in their own power and by their own willpower. It's impossible. 
These are the manifestations of power. To put it simply, in verse 2, grace and mercy have to be tapped to receive practical power to grow. And then the third virtue, peace, is the evidence that I'm tapping into grace and mercy power. If I lack peace, then the problem is I'm not walking in grace and I'm not walking in mercy. Lesson one that we saw on the hourglass of mercy in your note sheet was from Saul the apostate. And the lesson we learned then, as it says in your note sheet, is there's no mercy for an apostate. And we studied Saul's life. Then we studied Jehoshaphat's life, lesson two on the hourglass of God's mercy, and realized in some ways at certain points in his life he was living just like Saul in rebellion with his alliance with the northern kingdom and with Ahab. And so what we realized in lesson number two is there's no mercy for rebellious believers without repentance. When a believer is in rebellion without repentance, mercy ends and chastisement begins. Lesson three that we've seen, what is the hourglass of mercy? I taught that to you from various scriptures, and I've given you the definition there in lesson three. There is a time limit of God's mercy, and he doesn't tell us when that limit has been achieved. He doesn't give you a voice in your head that says mercy has ended in chastisement and Christian judgment has begun. And that raised lesson four, well then how would we know whether we're living under the mercy of God or the judging chastisement of God? Lesson four, we learned that you can only tell when mercy has run out by observing the evidences in a believer's life of rebellion, and I gave you those evidences. Evidences of chastisement, evidences of rebellion. What God does when he starts to move away from mercy in a believer's life and what that believer is messing around with in his or her life that triggers mercy's end. Now, what we're in the middle of is lesson number five and continuing on. Just a reminder of what mercy is. It's listed there in your note sheet. You pronounce in the English the Greek word as elias and at its foundations, divorced from context, it means pity, compassion upon those who deserve to be judged or chastised. Pity or compassion upon those who deserve to be judged or chastised. Mercy is like this. God offers mercy and then he waits for both the unbeliever and the believer. Mercy offered, waiting, 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 waiting. Mercy removed. The offer of mercy from God waiting. Believer and unbeliever waiting, waiting in his sovereign infinite wisdom and knowledge. At some point, if it's, the mercy is resisted, mercy is removed, and the fist of judgment takes over. Now, we, under Lesson 5, obviously we need per mercy power to withhold wrath continuously. Uh, the pity and compassion that we received from mercy is the withholding of hell from us. So hell still exists, it's just not our destiny as true believers. So under number 5, Continuous mercy holds back hell continuously. Grace is the offer of heaven. Mercy is the withholding of hell. Write that under lesson five. Mercy is the offer of heaven. For by grace are you saved from hell and unto heaven. And mercy is the withholding of wrath and hell. These are the two edges of the divine sword of power. To save and enablement of power for the believer to be Christ-like. 
two sides of the divine power to transform grace and mercy. One proactive, giving grace, unmerited favor to save and to sanctify, and mercy, prohibitive, the withholding of judgment, chastisement, and hell. For a true believer, we no longer have to worry about mercy holding back hell. It's once and for all our salvation. But he's watching us very carefully. And the mercy continues as he's watching us and he's observing our minds and he's assessing us daily. And sadly for some who backslide or rebel, he realizes that now is the time to pull back mercy and bring chastisement and judgment. And again, we studied those issues in depth in Lesson 4. I'm not going to rehash that. So that's what mercy is, pity and compassion. Lesson number 6 of the Hourglass of Mercy. Fill in the blanks. The offer of mercy to mankind is unconditional. The offer of mercy to mankind is unconditional. It is free and available to all. As the Bible says, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he may bring us to God. That's the power of grace bringing us to God. Having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That was what we studied in 1 Peter 3, verses 18 to 20 that we will not return to. 1 Peter 3, 18 to 20 tells us that God offers grace to the lost, the power to be saved, and mercy to the lost, the removal of hell. True salvation permanently brings heaven as our destiny, and true salvation permanently brings the removal of hell. This is a great gift to us, that we would not just receive heaven, but be withheld from hell. I did an extensive study on hell uh, many months ago, if you remember, and uh, one of the most frightening aspects of hell for me of the many that are listed is that you're falling forever. It's a terrible thing to fall in old age. You feel yourself going down and you hit the floor, maybe hit a chair or a side of a, of a door or something or concrete. It's a terrible thing. Years ago, Sue and I were at an Illinois Bible Church Mission camp session and she the basketball on the court got in front of her and she flipped forward and he, she hit her head and bounced on the concrete and it created a big knob and fall, falling is a terrifying thing. It's one of the great fears of older believers or older humans actually just that they would fall and imagine how you're falling forever. It is a bottomless pit. And not only falling forever but burning forever, alone forever, dark forever. It's one thing to fall in um, full light, the terror of falling in darkness. And remember, unbelievers in hell, whether apostates, fake believers, or outright unbelievers, they don't know the Bible. They don't recall the Bible. They don't bring it to mind. They don't know the verse that the pit is bottomless forever. So what would they all always be waiting forever for? Impact. Impact at the bottom. 9-11, we forget that. The horrible pictures of humans jumping out of the Twin Towers. It's a choice between death by impact, falling, or death by being burned to death. 
and we would wonder which would we choose. Would we jump out a window 1,400 feet up or would we just wait for the flames to take us? Most chose jumping to get away from the flames. Chose jumping to get away from the flames. How ironic. Most, most likely, in the minute of impact, went right into hell. Falling out of the Twin Towers. Instant impact. Falling forever. They jumped out of the Twin Towers to get away from the flames. Then in hell, falling forever with the flames added. What a horrifying thought. This is why Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 says hell is so horrible that every professed believer should make sure they're in the faith. So mercy is an unconditional offer of the power of grace. He brings us to God, 1 Peter 3.18, and also the compassion to spare us from hell. Continuing under lesson 6, let's see the sovereignty of God concerning Mercy under Lesson 6. Look at Romans 9. Lessons on the hourglass of mercy. Lessons to teach us concerning mercy towards the lost. But more importantly for us, the context of 1 Timothy 1 is mercy towards believers. Look at Romans chapter 9. Paul talking about Israel and the Gentiles. And look at verse 14 of Romans 9. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, as there may it never be. And that's in regards to 13. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. We can't question ever what God is doing. We have no right to do that. That's what Paul's saying in verse 14. God is not unjust. He is sovereign. Verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Compassion, the Greek word, oiktiero, Deep sensitivity and pity is very close to mercy. It's a different word than Elias, mercy, in verse 15. It's kind of a redundant statement, but compassion adds in the idea of sensitivity. God is not stoic. He's not a cold statue God up in heaven. I've talked to many rebels over the years, and Christians think, that God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. God ignores me. The, the, the word compassion there shows that that's, that's a lie. It's deep sensitivity. Notice God is sovereign who gets mercy. Verse 16, so then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on, who, on God who has mercy. So if we're saved here this morning or listening by way of tech device, and you've received mercy and you are truly saved, you did nothing to earn that. This speaks to the issue that man is not worth saving. If we had inherent worth as humans, then there would be some aspect to our lives that is worth saving. And what Paul is saying right here is mercy is granted not based on worthiness or worth. It's based on sovereignty in verse 16. We have no idea why God chose us and not others. None. You can't look at your life and saying, well, I, I have some worth. I have self-esteem. I am to be loved by God. I deserve it. No, we don't deserve anything. Unworthy means no worth. The fall removed any vestige 
of worthiness and worth eternally. It is worthless people that go to hell. Not people that are worthy of anything. Man has no play in this mercy issue in verse 16. It does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. God determines exactly who gets saved and who isn't. One of the great mercy, joys, and thankful things is, God, thank you for choosing me. I don't know why you did, and I never will till heaven, but I'm so thankful that you chose me. And there's nothing within me that merited your choice of me as opposed to somebody else. Ephesians chapter 2. This is the foundation. We're getting into now trying to understand how does mercy cause me to grow? How does mercy, the doctrine of mercy, help me to grow spiritually? Where is the power in mercy? The power in mercy is gratitude. It's a major power. I'm not going to whine and complain to God. I'm not going to criticize God. He's chosen me, and I had no say in that whatsoever. He just sovereignly chose me out of a lineup. Very few are saved, ever have been saved. The Bible tells us that in Matthew 7, so I'm one of the very few and very privileged. This is the driving force between wanting to obey him, thankfulness, indebtedness, a sense of relief. Ephesians chapter 2. God is rich in mercy. Verse 4. That means he offers it to every unbeliever. Infinitely rich in mercy. Then he talks about us as believers, Paul does. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, here's the defining mark of mercy, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Mercy in verse 4 is combined with grace in verse 5. Made us alive together with Christ. Dead in our transgressions. There was nothing worth saving. A human does not understand salvation if they think there's some merit that God saw in us that triggered his merciful response of salvation. There was nothing. You can't find anywhere in the Bible where there is some criteria that can, you can wrap your head around as to why God chose you and me for salvation and not somebody else and cast us off. There's just no way you'll ever figure that out. You can't figure that out. He chose. And one of the marks of a backslidden rebel is that means nothing to them. And he really didn't choose us for our own sake. Verse 7, so that in the ages to come he may show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So it was for us to give him glory, glorifying him. This is the basis of why we trust God and do not fear him, is that he chose us. It's a sense of relief. It's a sense of, God did this for me? He withheld hell? I so want to be more like him and live for him. That's what goes on with that. Lesson 7, we'll pick up next Sunday. Fill it in. The reception of mercy is conditional. So unconditional mercy is the offer of mercy to save. Unconditional mercy for the believer is the offer of mercy to help us grow. But then there are very important conditions for both groups that we have to partake of certain conditions or the mercy will be withdrawn for the saved and the mercy will be withdrawn for the believer. And that's where we want to spend more time
is lesson seven. The reception of mercy is conditional. Thank you, Father, for your word. As we come tonight, if we are able to be here tonight, may we rejoice in your merciful grace and power to help us to continue to learn how to suffer for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.